Hey everybody, welcome back to Studio HFL. I'm Larry Powell, your host for this podcast. I'm glad you're back for another interview. I'd like to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the generous support of my new co-sponsor, Messina Covers. David and Erica design and deliver both high-quality customer service and products, both standard and custom. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And Messina is spelled M-E-S-S-I-N-A-C-O-V-E-R-S. They offer their support through Patreon. Patreon is a funding platform where you can offer your financial support to this podcast, and your help will go towards hosting, production, and marketing fees. There are several tiers of support offered, and you can check out how you'd like to support this podcast at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also offer support by providing comments and a rating on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive news regarding interviews, new guests, access to Studio HFL merchandise, please subscribe to the newsletter by going to www.powellmusic.net and click on the subscribe to newsletter link. And of course, Powell Music, P-O-W-E-L-L-M-U-S-I-C dot net. And now, on with the interview. So, on the way up to... Uh to do this interview, we're chatting. You mentioned students. Um, where are you teaching, or where are your students? Are they all spread out? Are they? Are you teaching at a particular university, or? Yeah, I'm at Winthrop University in South Carolina. Where in South Carolina? It's Rock Hill. It's about a half hour south of Charlotte, so right on the state line. Yeah. How long you been there? Uh, this is my first year. This yeah. Last year. Yeah. Oh, congratulations on the gig. Thanks. And I think I saw a couple of your students on. Uh, on the tram yesterday back coming back so you've did you bring some other yeah I have um, well one of my friends a high school band director is here and so and I teach a lot of her students so that's how we know each other mm-hmm. and then one of my students is um, one of the scholarship winners so she's down here that's the one I saw because yeah. I think she actually had a tag that uh, was a picket yep. I think that had yep. sponsored yep. a scholarship that's very cool yeah it's awesome so, so. Um, it's not your first ITG, right? Not your first rodeo, as it, as it were. But you're here to do a presentation uh, warm-up. Right. Right? Yep. And tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's called um, Warm-Up Tactics for Audition and Performance Days. And it's actually part of the Youth Day on Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of got that idea for a warm-up because I saw a lot of my students, you know, kind of like I would see that they would crash and burn on a performance day in a way that they never had, really, like things that they had <laughs> never had problems with. And this especially is true, I think, of high school students, which is why I thought for the youth warm-up. So I'd have you know students going into an all-state audition, and they would not do well at all, and they'd wonder why. And then they'd be like, "Well, I did play, you know, an hour and a half before I went in there." And <laughs> these things that you know we take kind of for granted as sure. common sense now. So that's part of it, but it's also, you know, how can you efficiently do what a, all that you're going to need to do in that performance? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm going to have them play a bunch of just generalized things and then go into okay what's in your performance or your audition Mm -hmm. when should you warm up how long what materials can be really efficient for you so Mm -hmm. i've got like a um, kind of a pdf that i'll put up on the screen that they Mm -hmm. can see so is this also drawing from personal experience yes definitely yeah right i mean isn't everything we teach yeah (laughs) kind of uh, a big part of it is that i 
personally really struggled with performance anxiety. Mm. And it would actually start... Don't we all? Right. <laughs> to some yeah. degree, right? And for me, it would even start like the night before. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and then the morning I'd wake up and have to warm up and already feel nervous. So a big part of what I'm doing in the warm up is like these little kind of relaxation exercises, but it's more like getting your breathing to help you. Mm-hmm. And then you can put that even in the middle of what you're doing mm-hmm. so that you kind of release those nerves. Because if you warm up nervous and things don't go well, you start to get in your head that you think you're having a bad chop day or something. Right. So that's a, another big part of it that I want to kind of show them that there are relaxation exercises, mm-hmm. not things that young students think about all the time. Well, not that telling me now will give that away because this will come out after the fact, but what are some of those relaxation um, A lot of it's just related to breathing, but some of it, um, I kind of forget where I've seen this. I think actually John Daniel's book, The Special Studies, he has some things like this, where it's all about like we usually do our breathing exercises and then we pick up the horn and it's like the tension just immediately starts. <laughs> you know, it's kind of this mental thing. Right. So um, this whole thing is like we start out doing breathing exercises like where you have your hand here in front of your face. Mm-hmm. And I call that the karate chop for like little mm-hmm. kids. But then you're breathing in like that and then you just pull up the mouthpiece and most people would just immediately start buzzing. Mm-hmm. And I think that already puts in that tension of, like, that's the trumpet to them. Mm-hmm. So it's just you just pull the mouthpiece up, and then you just blow the same way, almost over the mouth. Like, you're not even creating an embouchure. You're just right. over it. Moving air. Yeah, and then you just kind of slowly bring your lips together in that and finally create a buzz after a couple of those. Mm-hmm. So that they're realizing, oh, I didn't need all of that, like, physical tension <laughs> in the upper body or in the face at all. Even mm-hmm. I can literally create a concert F just from almost just from blowing, not sure. even having to think about my chops. So that's one of them. Um, and then some things like something, I don't know who told me this either, but breathing in for four counts. And if you hold that and relax around your lungs for seven counts and then blow out extremely slowly through your nose for seven counts, mm-hmm. that that's something that for some reason has worked really well for me. That's away like, from the horn. That's just, yep. That's just right. like, you can do that. I mean, you can even kind of get away with that during a performance when you think about it. Oh, sure. You know, right before if you just do that or deep mm-hmm. breathing stuff. So mm-hmm. those are things that I think young students don't really think about much. They just mm-hmm. kind of crash and burn and figure it out. But, mm-hmm. Middle and high school students auditioning is somewhat different. I mean, the audition experience is the, the feelings can be the same, but they're not necessarily auditioning or preparing a list like we prefer, right. prepare for an orchestra audition. Mm-hmm. Um, but the techniques that you're using to prepare them for that, they'd be the same, right? I mean, this is something that mm-hmm. even though you're presenting this to youth, yeah. these are techniques that oh, yeah. professionals can use. Yeah, and these are things that I still do. You know, it's not mm-hmm. just something, and that's what I think is really important in a warm-up. It's not like, here's something I used to do. You know, when I was in the 10th grade or whatever, right. it's like, yes, those are things I wish I had. I think mm-hmm. it's more of what these warm-ups are, as someone saying, here's what I wish I had known, and that's why it's good for the youth to go to these. Mm-hmm. So you're teaching at Winthrop. Mm-hmm. Uh, had you done a lot of private teaching prior to this? Um, I had a TA, so at University of Kentucky, mm-hmm. and... Um, that was my main experience with college teaching in terms of that. But I always mm-hmm. taught high school students, middle school students. Um, I do a music camp every summer. I'm actually going to... Where? Um, up in eastern Pennsylvania. So mm-hmm. I'm from western Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. But on the eastern side, it's called Furwood Music Camp. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, I'd say, at least half just summer camp. You know, we have counselors and there's a lot of <laughs> games. And so you get a full range of students. Um, but then our, our third week has gotten to be the advanced week now. 
So that's mm -hmm. pretty cool to see, you know, students who are really, really trying to play the instrument. Um, so, <clears throat> and that would start with beginners, although, I mean, we had nine-year-olds who learned oh my learning to hold the horn, <laughs> you know, in a warm-up class with 18-year-olds who were mm -hmm. going off to college for music. Mm -hmm. So that, um, that was a big bulk, too, was I teach a lot of beginners and middle school students, too. Do you like teaching beginners? I do. I love it. You know, like the setup of it. And you can see immediate improvement. It's not like these tiny little, you know, it's kind of like people talk about weight loss or working out where there's this like big, you know, like this incline of improvement and mm -hmm. then the plateau. Mm -hmm. You don't really see too much plateauing in a beginner mm -hmm. right off the bat. So. I, uh, I only ask that because uh, I think there are people who are gifted uh, and talented in teaching like special needs or mm -hmm. which I would throw middle school kids into that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, the hormones are raging at that age, mm -hmm. but beginners, I've just, I've, I've had a few beginning students. I've never been able to connect. That's just not my, is not my thing. I, the older students, you know, in college mm -hmm. is great. Uh, so when I find somebody that's comfortable teaching uh, beginners, I'm like, how do you do it? How do you endure it? Yeah. How do you not, you know, get thrrown in jail for homicide after a 20-minute yeah. you know, I mean, lesson. Group lessons are very different, you know, and that's something like, because I do have a music education degree, so mm -hmm. that was a big thing, that group lessons are extremely tiring. I mean, I'm pretty soft-spoken and just <laughs> more like, you know, keeping the excitement up in mm -hmm. a group setting of a bunch of trumpet players. Mm -hmm. That is not something I would say is my forte. Mm -hmm. But the one-on-one -on -one setting and really just kind of like, Diagnosing, especially if it's a serious student, that obviously helps a lot. Sure. But if you've got one you're just trying to motivate a little and give them something fun to play or learn, you know, they love that. Right. So, yeah, I, that's one of my favorite things to do, I think, is the, the first notes on the horn. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, so you said you had a TA position at University mm -hmm. of Kentucky with Jason Doval, and this was for your doctorate. Yes. And are you ABD or are you actually Dr. Young's at this I'm actually Dr. Young's. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. How many years did it take you to get there? Uh, three. Show off. Yep. yep. I just <laughs> I knew I had to get it done. Oh, my gosh. That's, well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of people, you know, they barely survive the coursework, and then mm -hmm. I think, you know, six years of therapy, and then they decide to go back. Yeah. And <laughs> I think Jason did his finish. in two years or two and a half years well, at UNC. Well, he's an overachiever, right? Yeah. So I was like, oh, no, there's a standard. I have to get it done. But <laughs> he's pretty good at um, the timeline and everything yeah. and knowing we know exactly what we have to do. Right. So it's pretty clear that a lot of us do get out three years at UK. Yeah. yeah. Um, we'll come back to him in a second in, in your experience at UK. Uh, where'd you do your master's? Uh, Boston University with Terry Everson. And your bachelor's? I was Indiana University of Pennsylvania with Kevin Eisensmith. So um, mm -hmm. it's not affiliated with IU. Everyone's like, oh, you went yeah, to Yeah, I know. IU. There's always that com yeah, confusion, right? But, um, it's in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So it used to be a teacher's college, and that's where I got my education mm -hmm. degree. Cool. And your master's is performance, performance right. and your doctorate is performance, performance as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, when I was interviewing Jason, he was telling me, I, I didn't realize you had been a student of his at that point, and he said, oh, you know, Marissa, you have to ask her about, so now I'm curious, I would mm -hmm. like to ask you about this whole uh, role of the tongue, and not the R-O-L-L, -L, right, but the R-O-L-E yes. Uh, yes. in, in performance. Yeah, this all started, um, so I did ultrasound research, but it all started with my interest in linguistics. So I did an independent study in linguistics then in, in my doctorate and worked with a, a phonetician, someone who just deals with phonetics and mm -hmm. how the mouth works. And um, So 
all of that kind of boiled down to how, you know, how do we use vowels was mm -hmm. the main thing. Like, because I would see all these, you see, you could pick up probably most of our method books and see one of them at least is going to say, say ta underneath the note or say sure. tu or t. And well, the Arvins is littered with yeah. tuku tuku, right? Yeah, and they're all different in all these books. And some of these, the tongue level exercises and other things will say, mm -hmm. say ta and then e for a high note. Um, and I just kind of wondered, first of all, that didn't really work for me to replicate that in my mouth, but I thought I was doing it at least. Mm -hmm. And so I struggled with range a little bit and just I couldn't figure it out. So that was kind of part of the premise was like, are we really doing this? And with my background in music education and loving teaching begin like the beginners and all mm -hmm. of that, do we actually say ta or even to or toe or whatever? Mm -hmm. Is that remotely close was the whole premise of that. Because if so, great. If not, then we have how many <laughs> beginning band books and how many books for professionals are just completely wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and it can work for some people. But so we decided we were going to do an ultrasound study. And so I have this ultrasound headset with a probe that goes under the chin. And um, we got to see people's tongues and what they're doing. It's the same thing as like fetal ultrasound imaging. It's low power and mm -hmm. safe. Mm -hmm. So it's much easier than MRI. Um, and safer mm -hmm. and cheaper and like mm -hmm. all the reasons why linguists actually use it. So um, I did that with par kind of partnering with our linguistics department mm -hmm. and seeing basically most people we image the boiling down my however hundred page document or whatever is that most people don't use remotely close to those things, especially ta, which is what we're starting even on like low notes, low C, anything. Mm -hmm. So we're my end goal is to kind of show that in some way and make maybe make a new beginning trumpet book. You know, um, ta or two is so prevalent in this country. I can imagine there's some, some government organization somewhere who's going to find your research and think we've got to keep her quiet. Yeah. Right? You're going <laughs> right, to disappear because, uh, you know, you're going to blow everybody's concept of articulation out yeah. of the water with this. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because, and not that I've ever studied linguistics, I'm not comparing that at all, but thought about phrasing and articulation much more closely related to how we would actually sing or speak mm -hmm. rather than using a plosive or a, a hard consonant for every single note that we play. Mm -hmm. It seems unmusical to approach it that way. Um, and, you know, again, it's, you probably could look at it and think you're using pretty close to the same tongue position every single time. Is that true? Is is the tongue pretty consistent in how we use it with yeah. articulation? Um, so there are a lot of variations, and one of the main things I, that I realized was I'm, and I'm not claiming to be remotely an expert on this or on ultrasound or anything, but um, is way more people are anchor tonguing than they think, and that's a big thing that people kind of think it's taboo, right? Like we know. Oh, you know, Ray Mays talks about it, and then Jens Lindemann has recently started talking about it. Doc mm -hmm. Severinsen has talked to him about it. Um, so a lot of people just kind of think, oh, well, it works for them, and we can't think about it. Mm -hmm. Really, I'd say a lot of us are anchor-tonguing. We don't know it. Describe um, anchor-tonguing. So anchor-tonguing is when you leave the tip of the tongue below your bottom teeth, and in, it's not really anchored there. I wish we had a different term for mm -hmm. it. Um, but it, meaning that you're tonguing farther back. So that's called the blade or the laminal part of your tongue mm -hmm. instead of the apex or the tip. And that's where I think most of us, I mean, if I even say, you know, like two, I'm not actually putting where we tell students to do this, where like the tip of the tongue should 
a lot of people say this tongue at the top of the the back of the top <laughs> teeth where the gums meet and if right. you really do that the shape of your tongue is pretty absurd for most people that it's actually angled upward like a wave you know and that's just not how anyone was tonguing that I imaged at yeah. all, first of all. But even if you are using <clears> the <throat> tip, it's usually farther down. And a lot of people were tonguing farther back on that blade of the tongue. Um, some people much farther back, especially when you get into the upper register and you're trying to figure mm -hmm. out the tongue arch for those types of things. But um, that was really the main thing that I kind of determined was everyone does look a little different when they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And so imaging with different you know, oral cavity sizes and tongue sizes are different as well. Well, what about your subjects? Were there beginners, intermediate, and pros, um, or what no, was your pool? It was mostly um, age 18 to 35 age students, mm -hmm. so at the University of Kentucky. Mm -hmm. um, I think there was like one 18-year-old high school student. Um, I only had 12 that I used for my dissertation mm -hmm. and research. Mm -hmm. But um, so, and yeah, that, that's another goal of mine is to then get an ultrasound machine to use on professionals and kind of compare those and see mm -hmm. what they're doing too. But that was the main thing was the anchor tonguing. But then something else we realized with Jason actually, we had him play Baroque trumpet with mm -hmm. it on, this, um, with the headset on. And we discovered that he could be, because you have to be even more precise, I think, on a Baroque trumpet. Um, there's a lot less guessing. And yeah. so <laughs> he could actually like give us a tongue position for a note without playing it because he's just so kinesthetically aware mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. he would go, he'd play a note and then we would say, well, do you think you could just replicate that tongue position? And mm -hmm. he, in his mouth, because he would go and do it mm -hmm. and then tongue the note and it was pretty much exactly the same. Mm -hmm. So we're actually trying to write up a new study about mm. that because that actually goes against everything linguist, like any linguistics research shows. Mm -hmm. They think the tongue is rather imprecise and this proves that it is extremely precise in this setting. Maybe not in speech, but mm -hmm. in this setting it is. Well, I would think it's got to be precise, but you, you know, you think not just the tongue, but you've got to fine tune your embouchure. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I include tongue and embouchure when I talk about right. it. But thinking about those muscles around the mouth, I mean, they have to know. Uh, you know, brass instruments are the most difficult to play in that they're not. You have to hear it, and you have to right. find the, exactly the right muscle position mm -hmm. to get the note that you want. Yeah. And uh, I can see where precision absolutely has to be a part of that sort of thing. I mean, muscle memory, oral memory, mm -hmm. all have to be a part of that. So you get these results. What do you do with it? Um, so I just made some basic observations that weren't really even statistical yet. I don't feel like mm -hmm. I have enough of a pool. Um, and then we're still tr also figuring out the best way to get the ultrasounds to look correct and all of that. Mm -hmm. So um, the it was mainly just kind of going into what are my observations were based on range. And so now I've kind of, I mean, the, the end of that answer is that I've used it in my teaching for sure. And mm -hmm. I have presented it to people. Um, <laughs> so There's I have... ambient sounds always. Yeah, yes. Um, I've been able to present it at uh, the UK Trumpet Institute and other things that just to show people, you know, it might not work for you to do what our books are saying. Mm -hmm. So if it says ta e ta e and that doesn't work for you to do an octave leap, mm -hmm. it's like, well, that's because maybe for you it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And I found that for most people that was true that they weren't doing that mm -hmm. at all with their speech sounds that they, because mm -hmm. we had them read a word list and then compared their vowels to what they were doing. Um, 
So I do use that in my teaching a lot now, that I try not to talk with vowels if, you know, if a student, especially if it's not working. Then I move more to like wind patterns and talking about um, like kind of getting the tongue position in the wind pattern to change mm -hmm. the sound of your wind, stuff like that. So that it's really affected my teaching. And um, Jason has said the same thing. Mm -hmm. that, you know, we used to think about vowels and now we really try not to talk about those as much. Mm -hmm. We trained for so long, uh, you know, old dogs, new tricks kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, is it difficult to make that change? Have you been able to embrace it and go headstrong into, uh, you know, making this change in your own performance, your own playing? Yeah, I mean, it's been um, kind of tricky. It's been a much longer process for me of learning that, you know, like I, I had a lot of teachers say, okay, like the tongue doesn't move when you play. You know, I still, and that's still pervasive. And so for me, that's a big part of teaching my music education students mm -hmm. is, you know, we can't keep teaching this to our young students that, okay, keep your tongue down and out of the way. I think that works for people who might be really naturally gifted with range. But um, it's been something that I still use some vowels. I'll still, you know, tell a student to say two. That is what I think is the closest mm -hmm. that works is like a very mm -hmm. high two. Um, and I still use it a little bit, and I don't think that it's something that is necessarily going to hurt a student if you use it a little bit. Mm -hmm. you know? and, mm -hmm. and some students did, some of the people I imaged did use something closer to using like an E vowel in the upper register. And mm -hmm. So it can work. It just, people need to know that there are other options. Not like this is exactly what happens. Yeah. You know, uh, I came from a warm-up this morning uh, where buzzing the mouthpiece was a big part of the warm-up. Mm -hmm. And there are people out there who are like, well, we don't actually buzz our lips. And why? And then the other school that of people are thinking, um, you don't perform that way. Why would you practice that way? You know, just go straight to the trumpet. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a little bit of everything, I think, works for somebody somewhere. Yeah. But there's probably got to be some research or proof out there that says we either do buzz or we don't buzz. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of like the research you've done, you know, with, with yeah. the tongue. Um, but okay, so your thoughts on that? What about what about buzzing? Um, so I do a tiny bit of extremely soft buzzing. For me, buzzing. I did a lot of stamp when I was younger and um, buzzed everything. And for me, it kind of just made my aperture just too big and inefficient. Um, but it really did help me learn airflow. So it kind of had its own, you know, like pros and cons of mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. I really gained from it. Um, if a student has a really small, tiny, tight sound, we might do a little bit. And trying to get it in their ear, I'd just rather have them sing, though, for a lot of them. Mm. But um, I think kind of what you're getting at is most, I think a lot of us have heard, even at these conferences, that like we buzz into the mouthpiece and then the trumpet is a megaphone. And that's just completely wrong in terms of the physics of sound. Um, <laughs> if you read Teaching Brass by Christian Steenstrup, this is something that Jason um, turned me on to of his book that he shows the physics of it and like how a standing wave is created and comes back and buzzes your lips, creating more resistance and actually helping you play the instrument. Where buzzing mm -hmm. doesn't do that, the fundamental pitch on a mouthpiece right. would be so high. So for me, it that made sense as to why it didn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, oh, that makes sense now why I felt so inefficient. Mm -hmm. But I think it can be really beneficial but I do like the softest possible buzzing. It's almost a whisper tone. Mm -hmm. If you've played some of those, you know that like that your lips are almost not even sealed properly. Right. You know, but that's like right. my first few notes would be just that, like a concert B flat, mm -hmm. very soft. The middle 
of our of the staff. Yeah, the small aperture thing. Uh, I actually put myself through an aperture change mm -hmm. uh, a little over a year ago. I mean, I've been playing a long time, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I was afraid to admit to anybody what I was doing. In fact, uh, I, Vince DiMartino was my first teacher, so he was mm -hmm. my safe my safe go-to, and I, yeah. I texted him. I said, hey, Vinny, uh, you know, here's what I'm doing. And, you know, basically uh, all the years of playing, the aperture had gotten too big. Yep. And uh, I said, I'm going back to making sure I'm starting, like, letter M, mm -hmm. you know, lips together. And yeah. he said, man, I thought that, you know, small aperture is the way to go forever. Yeah. And uh, and he's got some exercises that help do that sort of thing. Kind of like you're talking with the, I think he calls it a peel-off Okay. Uh, you know, you peel the mouthpiece yeah. off, and as long as you've got response, right. I mean, that's that's what we're after, right? Everybody, I think, we're just got to make sure we got some good response. But the way you're describing what you just did with the the standing wave, I can't buzz a low F sharp to save my life, mm -hmm. but I can play a beautiful F sharp. Yeah. You know, with the trumpet, Definitely. it's like okay, so what's the difference? Yeah. You know. And I'm not going to beat myself up to learn how to buzz the F sharp. If I can play it, right. I'm never going to perform on the mouthpiece alone. Yeah. Unless it's a new work, probably, that requires right. that. But, you know, there's a lot of things that get perpetuated in music education because that's the way my band director taught me. And right. Right. that's the way his or her band director taught them. And yeah. so, you know, how do you, how do you change course? You know, that's, that, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, well, my answer is one student at a time. Yeah. And you can also, obviously, you have platforms at things like this that if you have mm -hmm. the opportunity. But um, it's it's kind of, for me, that's why it's so important teaching my music education students. It's just so important. They have so much misinformation. Mm. Um, and it's not like the person was a bad person out to get them or something. They just, <laughs> they just think that. Sure. And, you know, and that's why it's really important to me, especially, you know, our methods classes for music educators, that they know these proper ways of doing things mm -hmm. and at least having the information. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean that, so people who picture the trumpet as a megaphone, there's probably, you know, literally thousands of people who think that and play well. I've taught that on occasion. So who cares, right? When you really think about it, if something's working for you, awesome. That's the whole goal for me though, is that finding those, maybe even a smaller percentage of people that something doesn't work for and that was kind of how I was. Certain, you know, pedagogical things didn't work mm -hmm. for me. And, you know, I think that you still, those students are still extremely valid and have something really important to say on the instrument. Mm -hmm. They're just struggling to say it in mm -hmm. a physical way. To clarify my own comment on the megaphone, I, the way I've actually used it is the students sometimes think the music is in the trumpet. Yes. And yes. so what I say is the trumpet's like a megaphone or a speaker. It's like your brain mm -hmm. is the iPod or iPhone or right. the source. You've got to find a way to plug in and get it out oh, of there. Yeah, the in trumpet. Terms of the metaphor. Right. Yeah. So you know the trumpet is in that regard. I think mm -hmm. how we express uh, express everything. But um, I really geek out over stuff like this. Mm -hmm. This is fascinating to me. That uh, you know. So you'll publish. Uh, some bigger study maybe at some point and yeah I have the the dissertations published um, and that can be found on my website there's a link to it you can go read the abstract and all of that business. what's the website um, so it's just marissayoungs.com and, and one Marissa with one s thank you and then the <laughs> s is moved to the end of young for youngs but there you go yeah <clears throat> so um, that's been published and then the goal is to kind of get more 
And like I said, we might do something with Baroque trumpet here coming up. But the goal is to get a grant, get my own ultrasound, mm. and make this kind of a travel. You can travel with ultrasound pretty easily. Mm -hmm. It's a very small machine. Um, and kind of make it, you know, maybe next year at ITG or two years, I can get a bunch of professionals mm -hmm. to play these exercises with the ultrasound mm -hmm. and kind of get those. Um, but, and just kind of, you know, going around and doing presentations and things like that so that people, so that's what I did at UK at the Institute was I just had two people come up and play with the ultrasound machine on so everyone could watch what they're doing. So it is a live video. It's not just Was it kind of an ooh-ah moment where yeah. people kind of blown away by yeah. what they saw? Yeah, just even being able to see inside your mouth. You know, right. everyone, it was funny because Jens was there and so he, he said in his master class the day before, man, I wish we could see inside the mouth. And, and it was like, we can pretty easily, you know. And so that was kind of one of my goals too, is mm -hmm. have people just see what's happening. And mm -hmm. I haven't used it as a diagnostic tool yet. It's not, um, I kind of can a little bit, but I don't make those claims yet that, okay, this is definitely going to work for you. Right. It's more of like, it's not, so I've had so many people come up to me, okay, can I get in that ultrasound machine so you can fix what's wrong? No, <laughs> no, I definitely can't. It's more of, here's what you're doing so that you are more aware that what you're kinesthetically perceiving, mm -hmm. is that even close to what's actually happening? Mm -hmm. Then you can kind of realize, oh wow, what I'm feeling is completely different than what's happening. Maybe I need to kind of get more on board right. kinesthetically. Right. Yeah. So this is a big focus of yours. Yeah. But it, it's not the only focus. I mean, no. you're still teaching and playing. And mm -hmm. what, uh, what kind of playing do you like? What do you um, do mostly? I would say my favorite kind of performing is probably brass quintet. That's probably mm. the favorite kind. Um, but and I still I do some solo recitals and things like that. Mm -hmm. That's the main playing, and then orchestral playing would be, mm -hmm. you know, one of my top things I like to do probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, any favorite composers? Mm, that's such a tough question. Um, I know you're involved with the new works. Yeah. Thing here too. So I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be Beethoven all right. the time or Mahler. Yeah, in terms of, you know, for like classical composers, I think Tchaikovsky is probably my mm. favorite composer. In terms of new works, we've gotten just so many, I mean, I couldn't even list, you know, who I think has really cool compositions mm -hmm. out there. But um, I really enjoyed getting, like, who, someone who got me into kind of wearing like this new, new, new music, when you think about like postmodernism and whatever, that we're kind of back to tonal music. I'm very grateful for that. <laughs> you know, I mean, everything's great, but... It's really cool to go to these new works recitals and just hear things that like your grandmother could appreciate in church. We need stuff like that, and that's what's going to sell. Um, mm -hmm. Someone who kind of got me into that, I'd say, would be Brendan Collins' music. Mm -hmm. That when he came out with like his, you know, his sonatas and you know, coming out with the concerto actually is great, and some of his smaller pieces. That was kind of that wave of you know the some of these new works you hear. It's like a credit card on the piano string, and then. <laughs> like multiphonics right. for 30 minutes and right. so and those are fine too but it's more about okay here's something that maybe more diverse audiences can enjoy right and that's what i really love now is we're getting so many more of those mm -hmm. and young composers and more way more diverse composers mm -hmm. in terms of you know ethnicities and way more female composers it's, that's i think one of the best things mm -hmm. you talk about tonality mm -hmm. <laughs> i think don't, aren't you really trying to appeal to an audience? I think that's what performing is. And, well, I, but I think you have to write in a way that will appeal to an audience. Mm -hmm. um, You've got to give them something to whistle or hum on the way out. 
I mean, there are two thoughts on that, right? There's like the, <clears throat> the I'm here to give you art. I don't care if you like it. You know, that was probably art for art's sake. Kind of like Miles Davis was kind of sure. like that for a while, right? Um, but then you get like same thing with Boulez and all of those people that were just like, well, if you can't understand it, you're just too dumb. Yeah. <laughs> it's your fault that you don't understand my music. Sure. And that's also valid and important that people just have art out there because it's art. Who cares? It's mm -hmm. something I don't care if three people get it or no one gets it. Here it is. But I think it's really important then. If we only had that, our concert halls would be completely empty. Yeah, right. Just completely empty, right. and we wouldn't have anything. So that's good, you, but you need things to make it so that you can keep those venues open. So the tonal things that, you know, grandma likes, that's really, really valid, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you are there for your audience, too. You can do both. Well, and there's been a lot of creative programming over the, the last few years where those newer works are incorporated right. into a, what somebody might consider a traditional... Yeah. symphony program right so you kind of give it to them in small doses mm -hmm. so they don't realize they're building an appreciation right. <laughs> necessarily for this but i mean that's really i think a brilliant way to to do this yeah yeah i think that's great yeah. and it's also getting new <clears throat> music not just you know the older atonal works or whatever that right. it's brand new stuff too it's great. right uh is it torque uh, a lot of rhythmic patterns ostinatos mm -hmm. in the music Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I think, well, I appreciate that sort of stuff. I just kind of wonder, you know, as an audience member, you show up and you just feel like, oh my gosh, is this ever going to end? Mm -hmm. What's the point? Yeah. You know, uh, I, now I will say I do appreciate um, composers like Ligeti. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really clever writing. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think incorporates the old and the new really well. Yeah. Maybe not in every piece. I don't know all of the music. Right. I mean, but, but then he has a piece for just 100 metronomes or something. Seriously? Yeah. And then watching how they phase <laughs> out, they don't ever, ever stay. They're not perfect. You know, oh, they, and it was like the old style metronomes that tick back and forth. And so you can watch it. So it's kind of performance art. But yeah, I mean, that it's like, is that music? That's the age old question. But you're not going to get an audience to listen to that, probably, unless you well, trick them. <laughs> oh, there's there's some project uh, somewhere on the West Coast where they've taken Beethoven 9, they've slowed it down so that it takes an entire year to get through the symphony. Ah. Like you can go in and you hear this, it's, it's, a, it's just a soundscape, I think right. is what they, ca right. they call it. But, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, so is that music? Well, yeah. yes. Any, any organized and, sound. No, right, right. So you, you come know. back to that definition, yeah. organized sound. It's just not organized in a way that we're used to. Right. Necessarily. Yeah. So so what's big on the horizon for you? What's what's I know you know obviously developing the the whole study with the articulation is mm -hmm. is there, but what's what do you see ahead of you? Um for me, it's mostly just, you know, my, my teaching job is, that's always been my dream, is to teach college. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just like, oh, I didn't make it into an orchestra, I guess I'll teach college. <laughs> it, it was like, as soon as I was a freshman in college, that was, boom, I want to get my doctorate and teach. Mm -hmm. So that's my number one thing, is just kind of supporting my students and what they want to do, trying to get them to come to more stuff like this, um, any of our local, like, Trumpet Festival of the Southeast, or anything that I can send them to, NTC, that's my main goal right now is to just mm -hmm. kind of, you know, I've got some young students and I have 
students from really small band programs and just kind of all walks of life that we that we have at Winthrop. So it's really important that I get them in four years that they first of all can play the trumpet, but that they are just exposed to a lot more. Right. Um, so that's really my biggest thing right now is trying to find ways, bringing in guest artists and other stuff like that. But for me then, in terms of performing, um, I have a solo recital that I'll give in October and stuff like that. So that's kind of the next thing I'm preparing for. Um, what are the works on there, your solo um, recital? I'm still kind of finalizing, but I really want to play the Pakmatova again mm. for my students. That's something that, um, first of all, female composer. She's still alive. <laughs> no one knows that. I didn't and, know it was a female. Yeah, Alexandra. I didn't yeah. realize that. And um, I, I was like assuming that Russian, right. you know, Alexander, Alexandro. Yeah, and she's got some other interesting stuff. She did a lot of film scoring, I think. Mm. Um, not positive of that, but I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it's it's just like the Artunian, and it's just as good, but... Well, I think there's some more difficulty in uh, the Pagmatova than yeah, there's some, in the Artunian. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely in the technique stuff. but um, And depending on the edition, of course, so the first edition, it's just a chop killer. <laughs> when you get through, mm -hmm. you're just holding on a high C for like five measures. <laughs> but... Um, Tribute to Shostakovich, right? Yeah, 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 just like murder the musician too. Right. You know? But um, she, I just think that's a really wonderful piece, and yeah. I wanted to program female composer. And then I usually arrange some of my own pieces. Um, I've got arrangement of Oblivion. I think I'm going to play, and then um, one of my friends. I think I'm going to get to play the Vivaldi double concerto with me, and mm -hmm. um, maybe under Western skies, kind of make it like. I played that with friends. Rex. Oh, really? What yeah. a fun piece. Yeah, it's just so so good. Again, speaking of new tonal music, people like Kevin McKee. Yeah. Excellent and approachable. Oh, yeah. Everybody yeah. loves stuff like that. So yeah. that'll probably close. And then maybe another, um, I love to do more arrangements, and flugelhorn is like my favorite thing to do. Mm. Ballads, flugelhorn. I like to arrange pop music. Um, so I'll probably find something like that. Um, I met Kevin McKee at uh, ITG two or three years ago. Uh, had become familiar with one of his pieces that had been commissioned for Tromba Team. It's a <laughs> they build themselves as a five-person uh, trombone quartet. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> so it's a quintet, but anyways, I think that's kind of one of their gimmicks. But they had commissioned uh, nine composers. Kevin happened to be one of them. And wrote this, this incredible piece uh, for this group, and so then I started looking up more pieces by him. Mm -hmm. And I will say, you know, it's a challenge to write for unaccompanied trumpet. Yeah. But he's done some really clever things. Yeah, the one man blues band. Well, and the adventures of you yeah. know the yeah. uh, the one that Jason Bergman had uh, yeah. recorded and put out there. Um, yeah, that's a challenge, unaccompanied stuff. And I encourage my students. Uh, the other faculty are like, look. When it comes to juries and recitals, they have to play with an accompanist. I said, yeah, but you, you realize there's a place for unaccompanied trumpet yeah. uh, in our repertoire. We have to be able to perform it. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, I've pushed for that and uh, because the responsibility is all on you right. to make that piece work. Right. Right. Yeah. But, uh, no, I like, I like uh, McKee's writing a lot. Jim Stevenson, mm -hmm. are you, do you care yeah. for his writing? Yeah, for sure. It's brilliant, I think. But he's a trumpet player, so you know he writes very idiomatically, yeah. of course, for the trumpet. Yeah. So, Well, very cool. Um, any sage advice? I know you're still young in your career, and but uh, anything you'd want to offer 
young players? I mean, for young players, I think, you know, you're just, you're worried you're not going to make it, I think. And the biggest thing for me was kind of, there's, there's always, this is something that actually, uh, I was just telling a friend about that Barbara Butler said, I think a couple of years ago in a master class, she was like, no matter what, if you are interested in this profession in general, that there is room for you. Mm -hmm. And it just depends on, you. it might change what exactly you're gonna do, mm -hmm. you know, like there might not be room for you in the Chicago Symphony right now, you know, or, you know, there might not be room for you in what exactly you're thinking you're gonna do mm -hmm. right now or at age 18 or whatever. Right. But there is room for you in this overall profession. And the farther we go, you know, longer we go, you're gonna have to be more creative mm -hmm. to find your way in that profession. We've all gotta find our niche. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so and that thing we do really well. Yeah. And so you so like my dream was to teach college. And now, you know, we're relying more on adjunct labor. We're relying more on people who can have, you know, a bunch of different skills, not just play the trumpet. So I kind of had to make my way differently than even Jason would have mentoring me. And mm -hmm. he's only, you know, a little bit older. And it's still very different than like the next wave of people. That's who I'm trying to make employable right. they're gonna have to be even more creative than mm -hmm. I had to be so it's kind of tricky in a way and you know you have to be really dedicated but there is room mm -hmm. you will you will make a career in music if you want to mm -hmm. if you want to yeah it's not just oh well I don't know if I'll ever make it I'm gonna have to you know go and be in real estate or something it's right. like no there's room and you can make a living and pay the bills mm -hmm. <laughs> but it might not be how you're picturing it right now sure well, thanks for the time this morning. Yeah, I really you. appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. For nice to me. know a little bit more about you, and uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, reading some some articulation research <laughs> yeah. out there at some point. So, yeah, cool. All right, thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you again for listening to today's interview. I hope you enjoyed your time here, and please come back for more interviews. Be sure to share the news of this podcast with friends and colleagues, and give me a rating on whatever platform you get your podcast from. Thanks again to Messina Covers for co-sponsoring this podcast. Don't forget that you too can be a supporter. Check out how at www.patreon.com slash studio HFL. And one more reminder that you can sign up to receive news via email regarding new episodes, merchandise, and more by going to palmusic.net and clicking on the subscribe to newsletter link. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you come back for more great interviews.